creators want to spend their time creating and less time dealing with the infrastructure and the tooling. And we believe that we're, we're enablers. That's Nev Spiteri, CEO of Weaver, an award-winning interactive software studio that's been breaking new ground in gaming and visual effects since 2010. Nev is both a computer scientist and a creative, and not only has he built tools to create special effects, he's also directed incredible visual sequences himself, collaborating with the likes of Steven Spielberg and John Favreau. When he formed Weaver with his co-founders, the idea was to create a new type of studio for 3D content, but what he ended up doing was developing a whole new way to collaborate. In as much as a company, we've been involved in creating these projects and experiences, we've been equally very excited about the underlying technology that enables creators. On this episode, we dig into the unique needs that film and game developers have, why version control is so critical to them, and how the pandemic led Weaver to go all in on cloud-based collaboration with Weaver Virtual Studio. Plus, I asked Nev to peer into the not-too-distant future of augmented, mixed, and virtual reality. If you combine that with what's happening with generative AI, you can really see the opportunity within, within five years where people can very much customize their reality in very strange and seemingly bizarre ways. Welcome to Crafted, a show about great products and the people who make them. I'm your host, Dan Blumberg. I'm a product and engagement leader at Artium, where my colleagues and I help companies build incredible products, recruit high-performing teams, and help you achieve the culture of craft you need to build great software long after we're gone. My fascination around animation and digital content creation really started with my first video game that I played when I was 11 years old. And that's sort of where... I kind of really got the bug around the possibilities of creating digital products and um, went to college, studied computer science. And uh, my first job out of school was working for a company called Wavefront in the early 90s. And Wavefront is best known for the software called Maya, which is a 3D animation system that is still um, one of the industry standard um, animation platforms uh, in use today, 30 years later. And I still remember my first day on the job um, at Wavefront. And it was just incredible to be using these early silicon graphics machines and seeing the capability and what's possible in terms of digital animation. This was kind of really the early days of what used to be called flying logos in TV commercials when computer graphics was really being used for the first time. This was sort of before Jurassic Park and before a lot of the, the big boom of uh, animation in movies um, in the early 90s. After Wavefront, Nev moved into some high-profile projects with the Rolling Stones, Universal Studios, and the Apollo 13 movie starring Tom Hanks. Houston, we have a problem. That was kind of really my first foray in, in creating digital visual effects uh, for all of these outer space shots uh, that were part of that film. And uh, really kind of got the bug of how cool it is to be able to sort of create imagery that couldn't be done otherwise, couldn't be shot, you know, with a regular camera in the real world. And so kind of these were some of the early formative years, which uh, eventually kind of really led me to become super passionate about games and, and real-time uh, kind of 3D type of experiences. Nev worked as a digital FX supervisor, and until 2008, he directed video game development at Electronic Arts. Weaver was found in 2010, 
it was kind of really the culmination of the previous sort of couple of decades of, of my journey in animation, feature film, visual effects work, and then crossing over to real-time computer graphics and working in video games. The impetus for forming Weaver was really around the possibility of developing a new kind of digital studio that is creating new kinds of real-time 3D content. It could be games, it could be interactive story experiences, eventually VR, etc. There was one specific product in particular called The Blue, which um, was essentially sort of our first movie or, or sort of the first product that we wanted to develop as a, as a studio. The Blue is essentially a, it started really as a, as an ocean simulation, as a digital ocean simulation with different 3D species that are swimming around from computer to computer across the internet. The founder, Scott Yara, myself really had a, a deep passion for the ocean and wanted to kind of really celebrate the beauty of the ocean. And the passion that the founding team had was really around the possibility of using technology and how technology is advancing our capabilities to create stories and interactive games. So that was a really exciting sort of sequence of steps where after Electronic Arts, I was like, now's the time. Here's the opportunity to go chase this dream that I had since much earlier. And um, that's how the journey began. You know, the through line here is that in as much as a company, we've been involved in creating these projects and experiences, we've been equally very excited about the underlying technology that enables creators, um, designers, animators, uh, 3D modelers to create products like this. So that was sort of what led us as a company to always be thinking about not just the, the game and the experience itself, but what's the underlying technology and platform that enables it. Lots of creators work on these projects. There are game designers, software engineers, 3D artists, sound designers, story and narrative creators, shaders, QA, and that's just to name a few. The process of figuring out how to all be on the same page, how to make the music together, if you will, is quite challenging, actually. And COVID exacerbated that, right? And, and has actually forced many game teams, including ours and companies, to better figure out what processes you need to be able to bring it all together. And it's it, like anything else, right? It's a lot of communication and streamlining the means of communications. Then beyond that, it's really about how you share progress, whether you're the art team iterating on the worlds and the characters and wanting to be able to share how that's coming together versus the engineers who are building the various game mechanics versus the designers who are testing out certain uh, play concepts. And ultimately it comes together in what's referred to as the build, because a, a game ultimately is, it's not just a sequence of images like a movie, it's actually a, a piece of software. And so the build is where it comes together. And so the, the main through line of how all of this work collaboration gets baked in to the thing that everyone gets to play test is a whole series of tools and infrastructure uh, the core of which is a what's referred to as a version control software. So Git is a very well-known, probably the most popular version control software in the world. Uh, there's a platform called GitHub that you know millions, tens of millions of developers around the world use. And at the core of that is, is version control, which allows 
various creators on the team to, as they're making new versions, it's all being checked in and you've got this automatic tracking of all of these different versions that are available online. And then the code and the assets, it all gets built um, through a compilation process and, and you really want to try to optimize that and automate as much of that in the cloud because you have multiple team members working from different locations and, and so you want to have as much as possible kind of really tighten the loop from when a, a creator is making a change or an improvement and seeing the end result and being able to play it when you've got people around the world doing that together. And you built a lot of these tools for yourself over the last decade plus at, at Weaver. And I'd love to understand how you then made the decision to take the software you'd built internally and make it available for others and, and, and create a whole new business line. Yes. So like most other game studios or, or game companies uh, throughout the world, we had to build our own pipeline. We had to use some combination of off-the-shelf software, you know, this version control tool, this issue tracking tool. Um, we had to set up our own servers and, and make things essentially work. And that's a process that all game teams have to go through. You have to kind of set up your own pipeline. There's lots of inefficiencies there and lots of challenges that are introduced um, in the course of building a game because it's easy for things to break. And right before COVID, we as a company were working on a very large uh, project with Warner Brothers, a Harry Potter virtual reality project. And that was a three year long project. And in the course of doing that, as COVID hit, it became really apparent to us that there's a whole bunch of optimizations and improvements that we needed to make to make the production process better. So we started building out various components with version control, with build automation. We had over 80 plus contractors that were distributed um, in various geographic locations. And we started to you know, really understand how to make this better. Then as the project shipped and we came out of COVID, it, it really became very apparent to us that there's a gap in the market, that um, the same problems we were encountering every single other game team that we knew was also going through the same pain. So there was a little bit of an aha moment with, you know, which Marcel and I and Anthony had, that this tooling and this infrastructure really could be made available as a service. And there's probably a really exciting business here to go after. So a couple of years ago, we started to test the hypothesis. So we started to move down the path of saying, okay, how do we now really productize this service? and kind of go through all of the motions of typical agile software development to uh, really turn this into a, a robust and sort of ongoing SaaS platform. And that's when we engaged with Artium and really kind of wanted to partner with a company that can help us, A, get a team accelerated and in place that is really optimized towards building kind of a software as a service. And uh, that was kind of the beginning of us building out uh, Weaver Virtual Studio, as we came to call the platform. Um, and Virtual Studio kind of, the name sort of tries to capture this whole thing that we've been talking about. It's all of the services you would expect if you were in a game studio, but it's all virtual. It's all available in the cloud. So a game team that is starting out today doesn't have to worry about on-prem hardware, how to cobble together all of these various tools, they can sign up for Weaver Virtual Studio and at their fingertips have access to a lot of expertise and infrastructure from decades plus of, of game development experts. 
How did you identify your early customers and and do the validation work that you just described and know that there was, you know, really truly a market for what you were considering building? So there was a combination of things. One was our own bruises, our own, literally, the pain that we've experienced for many years. That was kind of a real strong motivation to, to go after something better. Uh, secondly, we had, you know, some hunches based on our personal network. Um, and then we obviously wanted to go a step further and validate that. To make sure they weren't just drinking their own Kool-Aid, Nev and his team set up early access to their platform, did a few posts on LinkedIn, and got a conversation going. There were kind of two themes which were emerging. One is the feedback we were getting was like, yeah, we'd like it to be easier. We want something that makes allows us to go faster. So ease translates to speed. Um, and the second was cost, because the reinventing of the wheel ends up requiring your team to build out your own in-house expertise and dedicated resources. And so if you just look at it from a cost basis perspective, we can be way more efficient by optimizing one platform and really being focused on the on the platform that services those needs. So that signal was strong enough for us to be like, okay, let's keep going. On your website, you say one of the things that Weaver Virtual Studio promises is to lower the technical bar required to, to get set up. Could you elaborate a bit on that? I think there's this general notion that when you want to set up your game studio, that all you got to do is, you know, go to the Unreal or Unity site, download the engine, and you're done. You're good to go. And in a sense, that is sort of true, right? Like these engines are incredibly powerful. They're the most amazing pieces of software. The fact of the matter is though, the minute you actually start to build your game and you're involving, oh, you now need to bring on your next person, the second person on the team or the third person, and you are working remotely, you very quickly realize that there's a, a bunch of things you have to start to think about, including configuring your computers with the right versions of software and okay, I'm going to use Perforce, I have to pay these per user license fees. We've got five people on the team and only one engineer on the budget. And now their whole time is going into fixing the build and supporting the other team members. Oh shit, you know. And so all of those elements we solve out of the box, right? So that's what we mean by we're kind of lowering the barrier to entry because it is now possible, and we're seeing more and more, especially younger folks who are growing up wanting to become game designers, right? You quickly want to you want to be focused on making the game itself, and you perhaps haven't had to deal with all of the infrastructure requirements to actually get it going. You also advertise on the site that one of the goals is to bring DevOps best practices from web development to real-time 3D development. I wonder if you could just expand a little bit more on, on what some of those best practices are and what that means in a a 3D or, or XR kind of context. Yes, so that's a, actually a very important theme. Over the last decades, there's been this incredible evolution in best practices around what's now generally called DevOps, right? And at the core of DevOps is CICBCD, Continuous Integration, Build, and Deployment. It's a set of practices, software development practices that have developed that really optimize the process and allow you to reduce error, increase velocity, collaboration, a whole, there's a whole set of benefits. Now, in game development, it's been much slower 
for those practices to get adopted. And it's even five years ago, I would say, most game teams, if you talk to them about what CI, CB, CD and DevOps, it's like, well, what do you mean? What's that? And that's really shifting now. And a lot of devs today are growing up on GitHub. Uh, but there's a whole bunch of nuance and specific complexity that is unique to, to games. Even the automation of the build process itself and getting these engines to run seamlessly in the cloud with the right configuration, there's a whole set of complexity that is not addressed in the traditional web DevOps stacks. So that was part of the gap in the market that we felt like if we can solve this, we can really catch up and provide a, a DevOps solution that is industry standard, best in class, but specifically tailored for game development. Yeah, it's, it's sort of the overarching value prop here to just give creators more time to be creative. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely the, the one-liner that co-founder Anthony often uses. It's like, yeah, creators want to spend their time creating and less time dealing with the infrastructure and the tooling. And um, we believe that, we're, we're enablers. And by the way, we've been talking a lot about games, right, and game development. But the reality is that 3D in general is being much more broadly adopted, even outside of the gaming industry. So more and more so across automotive manufacturing, simulation, education, training. These industries are also now using uh, 3D virtual worlds as part of their showcasing their brand, improving their manufacturing and design processes. And so game engines are really eating the world. Game engines are now being used across multiple industries and the shift to spatial 3D is happening. There's a, there's a lot of talk about the metaverse, which is a, a very ambiguous term for a lot of people. But really, if you boil it down, it's simply that the internet is evolving, it continues to evolve, and in the next evolution, there's more, there is more 3D on the internet. Point being that software development and game development in general is shifting towards 3D. These game engines are going to be used more, more ubiquitously. And so the opportunity here is to provide optimized methodologies of development that really are for any application of 3D game engines, not just games. Yeah, and we're we're recording this a, a day after a new season of The Mandalorian just came out. I know, I know that's built on that's a TV show built on a game engine, right? Yes. So uh, yeah, season three launched Wednesday. Um, creator John Favreau. We had the good fortune of working with John for many years uh, on a project called Gnomes and Goblins. And uh, yes, the Unreal Engine is used in the production of of that show. All of the major studios are producing several TV shows that now. At the core of the pipeline is a real-time game engine. And um, that's been a running through line in our development. So it's a pretty exciting time to see that all coming together. Running a studio where filmmakers, game developers are, are paying you to for the creative work that, that Weaver has done for years is a pretty different business than creating a software as a service company. What surprises did you encounter as you stepped into this new line of business? Yeah, and that that's, it was a very important and deliberate transition, and it is a transition. It's not a switch that you can flip overnight. That is really, really hard to pull off, to be successful at, at both businesses, because they are two very different businesses, as you say. Uh, we felt it was too ambitious to try to do both. So we felt like the right thing to do is to actually switch, to transition, where our, now our core focus of the company is entirely 
about the platform, about the Weaver Virtual Studio platform. And we have some of the benefits of having worked directly in that space ourselves and collaborated with these other creators and creatives. That just carries forward very nicely because there are customers and we can now service and work with and collaborate with way more creators and teams and game teams than we could before when we were just focused on a handful of things ourselves. I'd love to look ahead into the future a little bit more. We've, we've talked a little bit about XR or the various, you know, enhanced realities. And I'm curious, what do you see in the VR, AR, XR space that feels like science fiction today, but is going to be totally commonplace in a few years? Great question. So five years ago, we were one of the early teams that had access to some of these early VR headsets. And when we put this thing on, I mean, people really thought it was magic. Like really, like what the hell is going on? Like I'm now in the ocean and there's this giant whale swimming. Like people would like take off the headset and be like, people still have that experience today when they try VR, some of them for the first time. But the point being that it was, and still is largely, a category of tech that if you explain it to someone, they think you're talking about science fiction, right? So where we are now relative to where we're going to be a few years, I think that in the next five years, right, there really is a quantum leap in mixed reality. You know, being able to walk through the world five years from now, or at least parts of the world, maybe your own living rooms or certain specific areas, where you can do search and replace on reality in real time. So search and replace on reality in real time to me means, oh, the cars are red. No, the cars are blue now because I want them to be blue. That sounds like science fiction. What are you talking about? You can, but if you, if you combine that with what's happening with generative AI, you can really see the opportunity within, within five years where people can very much customize their reality in very strange and seemingly bizarre ways. I was just going to say I'm I'm equal parts excited and terrified by what you just described. Yeah, it is a little it is a little uh, disconcerting. Let's put it that way. What's next for Weaver? How are you building towards what you see coming in the future? I think for us right now, it's less about being too sort of future focused and really what excites us today is we have the beginnings of a of really solid platform that solves some real problems for creators today. And we're all about like, hey, let's make you productive today, tomorrow, and next week. It's really neat to be able to be in a loop where you've got, you know, you're working with real game teams and customers and evolving very much based on what customer needs and requirements are. And we're on that path. Awesome. Nev, thanks so much for taking the time today. This is really fascinating. Awesome. I enjoyed it too. I don't uh, often get to talk about stuff, spend most of the time uh, doing things. Okay, <laughs> I, hope it, I hope it was cathartic. <laughs> <laughs> That's Nev Spiteri, and this is Crafted from Artium. At Artium, we love partnering with creative people like Nev to build their visions of the future. If you're building something new, let's talk. Our goal is not only to help you build great software, but also to recruit high-performing teams and to help you achieve the culture of craft you need to build great software long after we're gone. You can learn more about us at thisisartium.com and start a conversation by emailing hello at thisisartium.com. If you like today's episode, please subscribe and spread the word because first-time crafted listeners can hardly believe their ears. 
people really thought it was magic. Like, what the hell is going on? 